Welcome into another edition of the Canes Inside Podcast brought to you by Canesware. We're here at the FRM Studios. D-Money, man, we're off to Schneid. The last few weeks, I know, after the show, at, literally after, you know, we, we press stop on the record, you're like, man, need more energy. I don't, I don't, I don't like this. You, you really have been upset after these recordings, but I know you're excited this week. Yeah, I mean, I just haven't felt like myself. The optimism was gone. Just give me something. Give me something I can lie about. Just throw me a bone. So this was a little something. We got a light schedule coming up. Although Duke will talk about is better than a lot of people think, but certainly a winnable schedule. And you can see the vision of what we always see every year and never happens, but the nice finish to the year. You can see the vision for that. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, Miami needed that win so, so badly. It was one of the ugliest games you'll ever see, uh, but we'll take it with the dub. A lot of positives to take away from the offense, but still some of the things that you know have, have held them back, the running game uh, with some issues. But Tyler Van Dyke, you're starting to see some signs of what we saw last year that had everybody so excited about, about his arm talent and what he could be. Yeah, I mean, the arm, he made some NFL-type throws from a velocity standpoint. Uh, the thing I looked with him is always confidence. Last year, the confidence before NC State and after, totally different. And I think you're seeing that here. Just the throws he's attempting. We mentioned it last week with North Carolina, the touchdown he threw to Parrish, sort of a backyard play. Uh, last week against Virginia Tech, he had a play rolling left where he just threw a BB to uh, Brashard Smith. Smith. yeah. yeah. Those well, are the that was the third down, I believe. Big, yeah. huge play. And those are the kind of plays that he makes when he's feeling confident, when he's feeling loose, when he's trusting his arm. He's just kind of letting it rip. You could see it with those plays. And when he's doing that, he's also making the routine plays more consistently. And he's just, he's just letting it go. I mean, he looked really, really good. And I think the one takeaway you'll take from that North Carolina game, and then now you're seeing it continue, is Van Dyke looks comfortable in this offense. He's trusting himself more. And as the playmakers around him start to emerge, you could see an outline of an offense that could finish strong, not unlike 2016 with Brad Kaya and Mark Rick clicking. Well, and it's great to see guys like Jacoby Young now two weeks in a row. Um, he came into a much bigger role this week. Brashard Smith, you mentioned him, and he's a guy that I, you know, I've been high on. I know you've been high on. Coach Cristobal has talked about him. Um, you know, a ton over spring ball and into fall. But it's good to see a guy like him who had some struggles early in the year kind of break out of that because this isn't the NFL where they can go out and sign guys in the middle of the year. You have to find the guys within the roster. How big is it now to know that, all right, you have some, you have a couple guys who are emerging, a Frank Ladson, uh, another guy who had the touchdown reception is, has been a consistent uh, guy for them at the receiver spot to know you have some guys emerging and then, you know, the return of Xavier Estrepo is not all that far off. Yeah, and you, you had a little Freudian slip. You said Jacoby Young. You met Colby Young. Yeah, Colby Young. But Jacoby, Jacoby George, George is coming yeah, back yeah. soon, possibly this week. So you see the outlines of a real receiving core. Kobe Young as your big X receiver that Miami's been missing. Uh, Jacoby George, maybe that flanker that can do a lot of different things, deep threat, run after the catch a little bit. And then Rashard Smith in the slot, Restrepo also going to be in the and slot. And we haven't even mentioned a Keyshawn Smith, who you know has been a, pl a consistent playmaker for this team as and well. And one of the best kicker turners in the yeah. country. Um, starting with Colby Young, because he's been the talk, people have been asking me, how did this guy not play earlier? You know, What, what were these guys watching in, in practice? And I was at camp. I saw a lot of these practices. So 
I could tell you, he was not the Kobe Young that you're seeing today. Now, some of that is he's a gamer, yeah, mm-hmm. that's part of it. But more than that, he was playing slow. He came in very, very late. He was not um, someone who signed back in February or December. He signed really at the end, kind of like the old Butch Davis style where he'd bring guys in out of nowhere in the summer. Um, Kobe Young was like that. Came in uh, out of shape. Not not out of shape because of anything bad. Just he wasn't. He missed the the can uh, the off season. You know he was thinking about what he was doing, so he wasn't playing fast. Now you're seeing the speed pick up a little bit. You were seeing uh, a little more twitch, but really his bread and butter ball is skills. ball skills. He plucks the ball. He's got big hands. He's huge. He's the size of a tight end. And even you know I like him a little bit even after the catch more than I thought. You know I would be feeding him going forward nonstop. I mean, talk about a, a double-digit type target games. Mm-hmm. But some of that would be little screens because even though he's a big guy, you throw him those screens, he'll run someone over. He's finishing those runs, putting his shoulder down and, and, and running with some physicality and pad level that you like to see uh, as a big guy. You hope that the route running and the twitch will come as he gets more comfortable. I think you, he has more ability in that respect, athleticism-wise, than he's shown. Um but even if he's just a jump ball contested catch guy, in college football, that is extremely valuable. You saw USC for years, whether it was the Dwayne Jarrett's, the, the Mike Williams, those guys who maybe weren't the best pros because they couldn't separate uh, those really quick NFL corners. At the college level, you just threw it up and they were coming down with the ball. Right. So Kobe Young, just from what he's shown, looks like someone who could be a true go-to guy. He's got really, more really than really enough excited. speed for, for the college level. And TBD wants to throw those right. deep balls 50-50. That's one of his strengths. He lets it rip. He throws a catchable ball that the receiver has a chance to make you a saw play. saw with Rambo how many times last year. That was his bread and butter. So now you got Kobe Young who could do some of that. Brashard Smith, who you mentioned, um, he turned a corner in terms of just work ethic focus, really locking in, and now you're seeing the results follow that. So that's a very encouraging sign. Uh, he can make big plays, as we saw. And Latson, guy who's always been a very good worker, smart guy, uh, catching the ball more consistently. So the playmakers are starting to come together. Jaleel Skinner, somebody who uh, we talked about in the preseason pod, you know, he's not going to be the guy that's going to be like your Jason Witten, always getting open quick and catching sure-handed eight yards, five yards. He'll drop some, and he's not going to be the quickest guy to get open. But down the field, when those strides start coming, he can make big, explosive plays, which are unusual at the tight end position. The run game, I, I mentioned at the open that it's it's been you know inconsistent. A lot of that is just the struggles up front with the offensive line. What can they do to kind of fix this midseason? Because, again, it's it's like... It's not like the receiver position. It's easy for I think it's easier for guys at a receiver position to step up, but the offensive line I think has become a glaring issue for this team. Well, start with the injuries on offense. You know, Restrepo is a receiver. That's not going to affect the run game. But you have Elijah Royal, who's your best blocking tight end, mm-hmm. best tight end period in my opinion. Although Mallory played unbelievable, uh, Mallory got hurt during the game. Three offensive linemen now with Zion, Justice, and Jakai Clark, and then. Really, one of the most valuable players on the team, we've learned, one of the best players on the team, Henry Parrish. Mm. When he's out, it makes a big difference. Uh, Jalen Knight and Rooster, he's capable of making big plays if you get him in space, which we have been able to do this season, really, aside from that wheel route against uh, North Carolina. But as a runner, 
3.9 yards a carry. That's that's what he was last year. That's kind of what he is. That's what he was as a freshman. I think it was 4.0, but you know, on the low end. He's just not a runner. That's not his game. He doesn't have the 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 bulk and he's not the most elusive guy. He's someone you get in space and let him use his athletic ability to to make big plays. Parrish is the runner of that crew and we miss him sorely. You know, I I think you were on the message boards during this time. Maybe you weren't, but the message boards used to just go insane with debates over Cheney, Knighton, and Parrish. And I was one of the guys saying, listen, those two guys are great. Parrish, or Cheney and, and, and Knighton, explosive guys. The best runner is Parrish. This is at the high school level. Right. He's the guy that's carrying the load. He's the guy that has the total package as far as the, the feet, the, the balance, the vision, maybe not the physical tools, but the true running back traits. Fast forward, is anybody arguing that Parrish is not the best running back out of those three? I mean, you could say Cheney had an injury, but you know Cheney wasn't running this consistently as Parrish has. When I think Parrish on you the know field. there's an argument to be made. You know, at the next level, how 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 uh, the league will see each of those three, um, right? But at the college level right now, obviously that. It, it's shown to be what it is. Yeah, with size and speed down, the other stuff plays up more, and that's what Parrish brings to the table. So we miss him uh, really badly, in my opinion, um, your man from Columbus. And I think him his return is going to be a huge boost to the running game uh, immediately. So let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. That D-line continues to be the strength of this team. You know, I go by teamrankings.com, which takes away FCS when they're doing their statistical rankings. If you look at number one in the country in sack rate, which is the amount of dropbacks that result in sack, that's Miami. Number one in power five in total sacks, the more traditional measure, that's Miami. So, and then run defense, I believe Miami is eighth in run defense. They're top 10 in run defense as well. Um, and very efficient in terms of stopping the run um, you know, yards per carry and also total yards. So this defensive line is doing it all. There's a lot of players that I think will be playing on Sundays, maybe not the first round Jalen Phillips, Greg Rousseau types, but guys who will be making a living playing professional football. Akeem Mesidor, three and a half sacks, plus he had another one that was taken off the board. Um, he is really coming into his own. And when he's in a matchup where he's not going against these behemoth offensive linemen, he's going against guys closer to his size, He's too much with his hands, with his effort, with his ability to string together moves, with his instincts as a former linebacker. Um, Mesador really is one of the special players on the team and a difference maker. And I think against Duke, which we'll talk about, a team that doesn't have size and is not going to be able to overwhelm him, he can cause a lot of problems for them, just like he did on, uh, on Saturday. So the pass defense, I mean, moving forward, there were some signs of, uh, you know, some positive signs against Virginia Tech, but... You mentioned Duke. It's another team with, you know, the ability to kind of spread you out, especially with the quarterback position with Riley Leonard. Yeah, unbelievable player. And Pete, I'll give you props. You you were in the group chat. I mean, it's hard to keep track between your tweets about or your your text about, you know, the Saudi Arabian Golf. Oh, All right, listen, I'll be out there next week here, here in Miami. Oh, really? At the at the Doral at the Doral Trump. It's out there. Uh, the live the team championship. So there you go. Looking cheer, forward to that. Cheer on your boys. Put on put on the the headgear. But you know, as far as your call, you were right. This guy is a stud and basketball player, just like Drake May. Um, tremendously athletic. He's quick. He can he can get out of the pocket. He makes good decisions. Um, I this is a kid who was the Mister Basketball in the state of Alabama. Had legit opportunities to go play 
at a high D1 level basketball. Very intelligent kid from what I've heard. Um, and there was, again, I've talked about how when it comes to the scouting world and the NFL level, they're really looking at the guys who, are, who they know are coming out that year. They don't pay attention to the underclassmen. But when you hear things about, listen, there's this young kid at Duke who played sparingly last year. He could be the next one up. It was like, okay, he has, like you said, the basketball background, all the athletic ability in the world. And, you, you know, you go, to, you go to play quarterback at Duke, you're a smart kid. So he's got it all, and he's put up some good numbers this year, but the numbers are not going to exactly blow you away the way that it, it did with Drake May. But if you turn on the tape, uh, he can hurt you in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I talked to someone from Miami this week, and, you know, excluding Van Dyke, who's their own quarterback, they said the top two quarterbacks in the league, hands down, Drake May, Riley Leonard. Those are the top two guys, and very similar. Taller guys, athletic basketball players uh, in high school. Um, it's going to be a problem. You know, Duke as a team, they remind me a lot of Appalachian State, just in terms of they're not going to have a lot of size, but they have speed. They have guys that are faster than our guys on their team. They can make big plays against us, which has been a weakness, particularly in the air. Um so Miami needs to be extremely disciplined this week because a couple big plays from Duke at home and the boobers start coming out and the fan base really starts to get uh, negative because of some of the stuff they've seen on that, on that home stadium. So uh, hopefully Miami starts fast. Miami traditionally has played pretty well against Duke just because of the size advantage. Duke's looked terrible the last few years. It's amazing how quickly they turned it around. Um, but Miami needs to come to play because Duke – is certainly capable of, of beating them. And the good thing is Miami watches that North Carolina-Duke game on they tape. They played them tough. They played them tough. I mean, they were until the last second, they right. could have won. So if Miami's watching that game on tape, knowing what North Carolina can do, they're saying, all right, this is a legit team. You know, we can't we can't. Well, I don't think my, I don't think this team should take anybody lightly now. But um, like you said, the, it's fresh in, their, fresh in their memory. Absolutely. And... You know, one thing that's really interesting to watch with Miami going to this Duke game and coming out of Virginia Tech game is, if you watch Virginia Tech game, I saw Jaleel Skinner making big plays down the field. I saw Isaiah Horton make a catch. I saw Colby Young make multiple huge catches. I saw uh, Jakari Brown, who they call the heartbreak kid. And you, that's, I'll give you credit on that one. You called that earlier in the season. You know, they call him the heartbreak kid in Valdosta, Georgia, and he laid some sweet chin music in the hole when a linebacker came and tried to meet him, unblocked, Ran him over, got the first down, first play of his career, really, uh, as far as meaningful plays, and then had the long run afterwards. I, I'm really, really impressed with that kid. And you watch Hendon Hooker for Tennessee. Jakari Brown could do all those things and more, in my opinion. Um, and he's improving quickly. He's got a great attitude. People gravitate towards him. He's, a, he's tough, as you saw in those runs. He works hard. Um, sharp kid. Huge arm, although he's learning to be more accurate. That will come with time and, 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 and work on his fundamentals and his footwork and his balance. But I, I'm a huge Jakari Brown fan. So throw him into the mix. So Jakari, Skinner, Young, Horton. Uh, on the defensive end, Wesley Besaint had the, the opening, really tone-setting hit on the kickoff. Mm. Also had a hit that they called the penalty on. They took it back when he just knocked someone out, basically. Um, Nigel Lee Kelly playing a ton of snaps. Look at the trend here. All of these guys were players that Cristobal basically either locked down or added to the class when he came in. Unless Cooper got mm -hmm. snaps at, at guard, meaningful snaps at guard, rotating and with, I, and with I Logan think that he's, he's There's a chance that he ends up starting some games. 
by season's end. I totally agree. So, again, that's the majority. I just described the majority of this last class. You know, Citizen, if he wasn't hurt, he would be right and there And that's a class too. that is going to be probably the worst of, you know, not to down any of those guys, but just what we expect to see from Mario moving forward and, and his staff, right? It, this is not going to be anywhere near the, the overall influx of talent that we hope they, that he brings in. Right, but it shows you evaluation because he said, here's what I got from Manny. Here's who I'm going to keep. Here's who I'm going to drop. And the guys that he kept and the guys that he added certainly look like keepers. So that's a good sign for his evaluation ability. Um, it's certainly a good sign for this program moving forward as they head into Duke. So on top of just Riley Leonard, there's a couple other guys on, on the Duke team that I, that I think we should note. Jordan Waters, the running back number seven. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, you know, you, you pointed out, but he's Darius Leonard's, uh, cousin. So he's got some good bloodlines there. Shaquille Leonard, right? Yeah, sh- I, That's your yeah, own guy. Yeah, Come we on. have, we have his, uh, we have his Pro Bowl jersey actually right over there. I, I know you guys can't see it in the screen, but, um, yeah, he's a guy who's got some size and some speed. Yeah. You saw him against North Carolina a couple times, reverse field and outrun guys. At his size, he to me, he looked like an NFL-type back. So, again, that's where the Appalachia State comparisons come in for me because they have speed. And on some of these zone runs, if you don't play with discipline, they'll house it on you. You know, I don't care how fast your secondary is and how many four-stars or five-stars you got back there. So Miami just needs to be disciplined. They have a size advantage. Even with all the injuries, they still have a depth advantage. Do not allow the big plays this week. Do not give them freebies because this is not a Duke team that will, you know, turn a huge mistake into a 30-yard gain. They'll turn it into a 70-yard game-killing type of play, which we have trauma still from Middle Tennessee State. Duke is a hell of a lot better and more explosive than Middle Tennessee State. Middle Tennessee State's quarterback played great. This quarterback is a whole different league. So later on in the show, we had Steve Kim on K9 Kane. Uh, you know, great interview with him. Great, great just catching up with him and getting some perspective on where Miami is right now with Mario Cristobal. But and not to give too many spoilers on you know what we talked about with him. But one of the things we did talk about is the rest of the season, right? And looking forward, um, you know, it was a bad Virginia Tech team, so we can't get too we can't you know react too too much on each side, right? But in your opinion, what's the outlook now that you see? Some progress, right? And you and you know what's ahead of Miami on the schedule. Understanding that Clemson is going to be the game that you know they're they're going to have a tough time winning on the road. But there's some winnable games on the schedule. Miami should be favored. They're favored by nine against Duke, which is a shocking number. Um, but I understand because Miami's played well against Duke with that size advantage, and they're at home. And you know Van Dyke. Sometimes when you have these big physical quarterbacks and they're going against a smaller team, they can cause a lot of problems because they're, they're seeing everything clearly. They're not really worried about getting you know, these big hits. They can kind of shrug off some plays. Uh, Anthony Richardson is a whole different type of player, but you know, Utah was probably one of the better teams he played, but it was a good matchup for him because his physicality stood out. Just he was bigger than most of those guys. Um, SEC, and I said this in the group chat as well, once you go to the SEC and the faster guys come into play and the bigger guys come into play, he might come down to earth, which is which is what happened. I think that's a, this is a good matchup for TVD. He's going to be bigger than all these guys. He's going to be the same size as some of these defensive linemen, um, and he's feeling so confident. You might see some of that backyard stuff, um, and and I, I expect 
his momentum to continue. It's a very good matchup for him in particular. And as he goes, the team tends to go. Uh, so really, this could be a springboard type of game to go into a Virginia, which is not a very good team, but obviously can beat us. Uh, and then Florida State, you get well, you win three in a row. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but get three in a row heading to Florida State. Now some of that excitement creeps well, back the, in. That's when the recruiting momentum picks back up and things of that nature. And the fan momentum. I mean, you, you're around Canes fans. You're in group chats. The energy is not where it needs to be. Um, this was a good start with the win. Duke would be another well, good step. Well, I think Canes fans, are they, they, want, they need to see it th- three, four weeks in a row before they, they jump on. Jump back on the wagon, so to speak. I don't blame him. So let's get out there on Saturday. You know, come to the stadium, fill it up. There will be some recruits there. You know, I'm not going to do a full blown bank segment, but I can tell you, uh, there's some committed players who are not getting talked about that are probably going to be in attendance. Um, let's show up, make some noise, energize his team. Hopefully, get a good performance and, and flip some of those dudes. So we will have Steve Kim on K9 Kane again coming up after this, as well as. The Q&A to wrap it up. So we'll be back after this. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Canesware is still the number one spot for all your Canes needs, your South Florida sports teams needs. They got it all. They got the new Miami Knights jerseys coming in, all kinds of new gear coming in, uh, the new Adidas Ultra Boost. Everything you need to get ready for this season. You know, you've been working hard. Christmas is still a long way away. You got some money saved up. Blow it now. Buy some stuff. Get ready for the season. Look right. Everybody else is investing. Invest in yourself. Invest in your wardrobe. Look, no more of these old, ugly shirts from the 2014, 2016 when we lost a lot. New era, new gear, same old Canes wear. The best in the business for South Florida sports. All right, we are here with a very special guest. If you've been on these message boards for years like I have, 96, 97, this guy has been around, K9 Kane. He has since moved on to stardom on TV and the printed word. You can catch him these days on Fearless with Jason Whitlock, the three knockdown rule with Mario Lopez, and he's on SNAC.com, run by the infamous Victor Conte. This guy runs in all kinds of circles, but first and foremost, he is a Hurricane super fan and a wealth of knowledge. He is the Korean Howard Cosell, the one and only Steve K9 Kim. How you doing, my man? Oh, my God. What an intro. Like wow. I'm, I'm blushing. I really am. Thank <laughs> you. Good to join you guys. So how are we feeling here? We're about halfway through the year. You've seen all these debacles uh, over the past couple decades, and you've seen the glory days, and you've seen the debacles before those. So wh- what do you see from this team right now halfway through? You know, look, I – I'm just like you guys, and I, I watch you guys weekly. Uh, you guys are like uh, peaches and herb, reunited, and it feels so good. I never thought you guys would get back together. This is very much unlike Simon and Garfunkel, but I'm glad you're back. But the mood that you guys had, which was depressing after the MTSU game, I, I think it was mirrored by every fan. I, I watched that game at home, and it was really strange because the ACC network couldn't use certain cameras with the lightning that was there that day. So it was like watching the all 22, but with vertigo. It was, it was a really <laughs> bad broadcast, guys. But I was in awe. I, I, I mean, my mouth was just kind of wide open, and I had this frozen look over my face, drool running through my chin, because I just – it was surreal to watch it. 
the loss really hit home, and, and it got me thinking, this may be worse than the Florida A&M loss of 1979 because um, it was a different expectation of the program and with Mario coming in. But, you know, I've had a chance to reflect the last couple of weeks. I went to the UNC game. Sorry I missed you guys. I thought we played hard. Finally got a win last week. We have a chance to win some games before November 19th against Clemson. I'm not drawing a conclusion either way. I think big picture Mario Cristobal, he understood probably better than we did uh, of, in terms of what this rebuild was really going to be and realistically how fast he could turn this around. And, I, you know, I lived through the whole Butch Davis era from 95 to 2000. Look, let's win some games. We could put together a winning streak. Got to create some positive momentum. Hopefully we get healthy here. We've been having this injury bug, which is, I think, almost unprecedented. It's really thinned out the depth of this team. But, look, take away the MTSU game. I'm, I'm not – I don't have any different feeling towards Mario or the big-picture vision. But I, I do feel this way, guys. Moving forward, the goal for Mario Cristobal is not just to find – better football players. You better find guys that want to play the game of football and have a passion for it. It it was really shown during the MTSU debacle that we have a lot of guys that don't want to play the game of football. And and it's not a character assassination of any of these young men. Um, Mario runs a very tough camp. Danny, you've talked about it, how it's much tougher, something that I think this program has needed. So to me, we're halfway through the journey. There's still a lot of football to go. And like you guys, I look forward to this the whole year. I have not packed in anything. I want to see how this plays out. So, you know, I have the same feeling towards Mario Cristobal and his vision that I did 10 months ago when he got hired. And my my thing is, let's go on to Duke. Let's win that game and create a winning streak. Yeah, what you said about players who love football, it sounds like a cliche, but I've heard that exact phrasing from people inside. That is a real concern. Um, you know, and someone inside that you know very well, Alonzo Highsmith, a friend of yours, I'm not going to ask for any state secrets or, you know, private conversations, but just big picture. Uh, what do you think his mindset is in terms of this project that he has undertaken here at the University of Miami? Alonzo is a pragmatist and, and he's a football guy. People, you know, a lot of people thought of him or was the perception was that, well, he's an ex-player or he's an ex-jock, but uh, you have to understand he, for the past 25 or so years, he's been a football executive. He's, he's been in management. He's been in the board meetings. He's been in draft rooms and, you know, he's another set of eyes. And I, I get the sense that he's very realistic about where the program is. Um, I I remember last year, Danny, you were part of a group of uh, boosters and fans. We actually had a conference call with Alonzo right after the Michigan state loss where there was kind of a meeting where Alonzo wanted to address the fans as he was still in Seattle. And he, he said something that was really interesting. He said, I've been around every program. I've traveled uh, on behalf of the national football league, various organizations that um, I've worked for. And I've been to Iowa state and they said five years ago, their athletic director said, we're going to be a real football program. That's right. I think right when they got Matt Campbell, and Alonzo said, I, I can't see it. And Alonzo said, you know what? Look at them now. They're a respectable football program because they invested into it. I remember he told us that UTSA, the program that hired Larry Coker to begin their run, he says, I look at their facilities and I'm like, Miami doesn't have this. So he probably has a greater understanding 
of the infrastructure that needs to be set alongside Mario and also the type of athlete that we need to bring forward coming in. I, I get the sense that uh, Alonzo didn't think this was a 12 and 0 roster, like uh, some of our fan base on CIS. <laughs> yeah. You know, obviously it's one thing to look at stars and blue chip ratio, but the players don't always reflect what the rating is. As you know, you lived through that Coker era. You're the first to coin the Coker Country Club, uh, and we saw all that. So <laughs> last time you had, uh, you had Pete asking you questions, you know, we sounded like we were coming through a ham radio. Now we're in the first round. I, I was going to say, this is this is not Steve's uh, first appearance. It's probably no. his, like, fourth or fifth on, on the podcast, except it's, uh, it's, it's hugely up. You know what you now. guys are? You guys are like that. Like that garage band. You're like Kurt Cobain, and I was on with you in 1988 as you're in the garage. Now you guys are selling out concerts with that fancy new studio, the logo in the back. Wow. By the way, Peter, you have the funniest tweets or the funniest posts on Kane's Inside. I just love the way you drop in with the cryptic note and guaranteed eight pages. It's unbelievable. And I you always know, say... I, we had to stir the people up before the uh, the big <laughs> announcement. I don't know if that was the best strategy, but... yeah. <laughs> And every time I go, oh, great to have Peter, I get at least 30 uh, downvotes. It's, it's, it's like clockwork. It's, it's Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, but, you know, week in, week out, we're just going to keep putting these podcasts out, and, and I hope the fans, uh, you know, enjoy them for sure. Look at that political answer. I've been working on him with that, you know, <laughs> working on those political answers. So. I'm listening to these, these NFL press conferences uh, too much. There you go. But, Steve, I had, I had a question for you because you're out there in L.A. and a lot of parallels are made when it comes to Miami and USC as programs in terms of, you know, the private school and, and the location and things of that nature. Um, obviously, Lincoln Riley's come in there and turned things around quickly. Um, I think there was a bit of an expectation from Miami fans that with the quarterback situation, you know, being – uh, as strong as that, as strong as it was, right? That Mario could come in and do some similar things. Obviously, that hasn't happened as quickly. Um, but USC is not exactly a program that has had, you know, a lot of you know high level success in the last ten years either. So you being out there, I mean, what are some of the things that you think Lincoln Riley's done maybe a little bit differently than Mar Mario? And I mean, it just seems like he's flipped that roster really quickly. Well, he has. If you go by the sheer numbers, like, look, we have hit the transfer portal ever since it came into existence, starting with Mark Rick and Manny Diaz. Uh, Lincoln Riley made wholesale changes. I believe he brought up to 30 players. I, I think that's unprecedented. So you're flipping over at almost one third of your roster. But here's the difference. And again, I give Lincoln Riley a lot of credit. Um, and I don't mean this as any type of knock on Mario. The difference is Lincoln Riley is basically his own offensive coordinator, and he had the luxury of bringing in his quarterback. So right. right off the top, now you have a melding of play caller, system, and player with Caleb Williams, and you get to play in the Pac-12, which is basically a glorified seven-on-seven -seven conference outside of two other teams. The issue that I think Mario's run into is I, I don't think right now the way the current offensive line room is constructed that we have the horses up front to run what he wants consistently. Maybe that happens starting next year with some big-time recruits, uh, and, and you could be a more of a power-running team. 
TBD, I, I'm just a little bit mystified over Gaddis. And again, I don't want to throw Gaddis under the bus, but I said this numerous times on Kane's Inside. Gaddis's goal is not just to run his offense. His job is to tailor that offense towards TBD and make it Van Dyke friendly. Now, it took about five games for that to happen, but you see what's happening. It's still a very one-dimensional offense that's really good inside between the 220s, but it can't get over the goal line. There's an inefficiency towards that offense. And it's really become one-dimensional since that AM game. But, you know, Lincoln Riley went all the way in on the uh, transfer portal. And, and when you get a quarterback that's in the Heisman race on the West Coast, and then look, I think the rumor was, guys, didn't weren't we in the hunt for Jordan Addison, who automatically would have been our number one receiver? Big time. We wanted him. Right. He won the bullet. But, but, but I think, but I think that you know, and it's something we've talked about here. I think Mario and staff probably would have been a little bit more aggressive early on in the portal because I think there was an expectation. And it wasn't just Miami. There were other schools that had the same, uh, you know, belief that there would be another exodus after spring ball. And I, I just, I think USC was probably a little bit aggressive, more aggressive earlier. Yeah. And you know what the difference is though? And look, I live in LA. Last year, USC, that's the worst USC team I've seen since 1991, when they actually, I think, went 3-8 and eight and got Larry Smith fired. That year, they lost to Memphis on Labor Day Monday. I'll never forget it. But last year, they were 4-8. and eight. And so USC made that decision, unlike Miami. They, they made an immediate move. The, the day we played App State at night, they got blown out by Stanford at the Coliseum. And it looked like a Miami MTSU game at the Coliseum in terms of attendance. And the administration said right there, we got to either fish or cut bait. They let go the coach that's now at uh, Georgia Southern. I forgot his name. Good football guy. but Helton. Wasn't a, Clay Helton. Yes, Clay Helton. And they immediately said, we got to get a, a guy that's flashy, that's young, that's going to bring exciting football. And Danny, I think you've talked about this along with some other people. There are certain coaches that are scheme guys that can immediately make an impact based on their system and their style of play. I think Josh Heupel is turning out to be that guy, right? But there's other guys who are more of a culture. They build it from the ground up, and sometimes it takes a little bit more time to actually blossom. Maybe the difference is Lincoln is a, uh, a scheming type of coach that's very, very up-to-date, advanced offensively. But he's never built a great defense, and that cost him this past Saturday with Utah. And maybe with Mario, it's more of a, a, a grassroots, holistic approach from the ground up and where he wants to be more of a complete program on both sides of the ball. I'm not saying either approach is necessarily right or wrong, but sometimes you're going to get quicker results with one side more than the other. This is where I think Mario is going to face pressure, guys. You go all the way to Bob Stoops. When he won a national title at Oklahoma, that was his second year. Um, who the Urban Meyer, second year after a relatively bad year at Florida in 2005, won the national title. Urban Meyer at Ohio, Ohio State, even though his first team at Ohio State was 12 and 0, they grinded out a lot of victories. But with that point forward, they took off. Um, this smart. second year is actually big for crystal ball. Cause there's actually been a track record, like uh, Nick Saban from 2007 to 2008 market difference. So sometimes we have to be a little bit patient, even though that's sometimes from a fan's point of view, that's very difficult. Definitely. Yep. Recruiting wise, 
you're out there in the West Coast, which is unusual for a Canes fan. Um, Jaden Wayne from Washington State. Riley Williams from Oregon. Uh, Francis Malagoa from America Samoa played some ball in California. Uh, Jaden Rashada, Bay Area. So a lot of West Coast kids committing to Miami, including last year as well, um, Cyrus Moss, Las Vegas, you know, that area. Do you see that as something that's sustainable, or is that just left over from Cristobal at Oregon? Is, that, is there love for Miami out there on the West Coast? In my view, it's a little bit of both. Certainly Mario Cristobal, his recruiting prowess on the West Coast. The guys, last three years, he was beating USC to the punch consistently for top 100 players. That's not even a question. I think that's another reason why Clay Helton was really uh, on the hot seat last year. Chip Kelly is the type of guy, he's going to recruit for his system more than stars. That's, that goes all the way back to Oregon. Um, it's just interesting about Miami, and I've told you this, guys, before. The Miami brand is, is, is stronger and more respected nationally in certain regards than it is locally. You ask a lot of kids from outside of Florida, and specifically Dade County and Broward County, what they think of Miami, and it, it, it still holds a lot of weight, that logo, and the history of it. And I, I've be, begun to think that I think at least in the time being, till we get this thing rolling with Mario, that Cristobal is going to have to go nationally, win big, and then work inside out. I don't know if he could do this like Schnellenberger because it's a completely different time where I, I, there is some doubt if anyone can ever really lock in the state of Florida like you did in the late 70s, early 80s. You know, it's interesting, and I've said this before. When I wear my Miami gear, when I travel to fights, going on flights, taking drives, when I wear my Miami gear, no matter where I'm at, it's always a positive reaction. No matter how mediocre this program has been the past 15 to 17 years, there's a certain mystique and a respect for that you in the orange and green. So that's that, going to be interesting. If you actually look at the best Miami teams throughout the history, and let's start from 1983, there are players from all over the country, from Ohio, Texas, New Jersey, uh, even Chicago. We've had a, actually a, back in the late 80s, a lot of guys came from Chicago, led by Russell, Maryland, Louisiana. So Miami, to me, I mean, people always talk about locking down South Florida. They, they may not be Notre Dame, but actually, if you look at the all-time Miami team and you're going to say, who's the best 85 players we could put together on a roster – one day I'm actually going to try to do this. I, I would think that about at least one third of our all time greats have probably come from outside the state of Florida. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's amazing that just the quarterbacks alone, they're all from that same County. If you look at Toretta, you know, Ken Dorsey, hopefully Jaden Rashad, I know is from that area as well. So California quarterbacks been mostly hit some hit and miss, but that would definitely be a nice start to get that going. So before we let you go, Steve, just going forward, rest of the year, what do you want to see from this Miami Hurricanes football team? You know, I said at the beginning of the year, Mario Cristobal had two goals. Win every game you're supposed to and protect Hard Rock. Well, MTSU and UNC just completely washed that away. That's no longer possible. So now we got to readjust. Look, we're three and three. If you look at the rest of the schedule, outside of Clemson, and we have to go to Death Valley, there's a reasonable expectation they can win every other game. And so there's still a lot of football to be played. And Duke is not an easy game. I actually think they're much improved. They have not gotten blown out by anybody. Mike Elko looks like he really has some positive momentum. 
They have a productive quarterback. And look, that's one of these 1230 starts where we seem to sleepwalk through the first quarter and a half in front of 15,000 people. Just got to get through it. And look, let's see what we do against Virginia and some of these other games. Pitt, I think it's our last regular season game. Florida State, obviously, that, that should be a pretty good crowd. If we could just go out there in the remaining, what, six games and put together a 5-1 and one and start to recreate some of that momentum we had at the beginning of the year and continue to recruit, which is probably the one thing I'm not really worried about with Mario Cristobal because I, I believe he's com- a relentless savage on the recruiting trail. But here's another thing we have to do, guys. We have to play entertaining football. We really do. I, every time I watch our games, God, I don't want to say it's boring, but it's not as entertaining as other games. Like, guys, I'm like you guys. When Miami, when I'm not in a Miami game, I park myself in front of my TV with two other screens, and I'm watching various games throughout the country. And the one thing that's noticeable is how fun and fast-paced these games are. USC-Utah was an incredible game. Um, Tennessee-Alabama, one of the all-time great SEC contests, and all these other games with a lot of energy. And Miami's playing games where, think about it, guys, we played a really, really bad Virginia Tech team. I have not seen a Virginia Tech team this bad since the early 90s when Beamer was trying to uh, rebuild that into a real program, which he did. Guys, we scored, what, 20 points on Virginia Tech. And I'm just telling you, a lot of these South Florida kids are fickle, and they look at that product, and they ask themselves, and Peter, you've dealt with them. I'm sure some of them think, like, wow, do I really want to be a part of that? I mean, honestly, Peter, doesn't it actually matter how you win it, to it, some of these kids? It does. I mean, look, we I think we we talked about this maybe a month and a half ago. Someone asked a question about how this, you know, if the season was it, it was it wasn't a month and a half ago, but it was early part of the season when they were struggling. And my answer was yes, it, obviously you want to have some positive things to point to, but at the same time, a great recruiter like Mario is going to flip the narrative and show these kids, look, this is the product that was on the field this year. We need guys like you to come in, and mm-hmm. you're going to have a chance to to make an impact very early. So, yes, there needs to be some, you know, something to point to, like I said, but Mario's going to sell the opportunity more than anything. No, he is. And I, I will say this. <laughs> when, 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 it's going back to Lincoln Riley, if you are an offensive player and you have NFL aspirations, especially if you're a skill guy, and you want to put up numbers and win awards, you want to play in that offense. Um, Right now, who wouldn't want to play in Josh Heupel's offense? I I mean, literally, they put up the most amount of points on an Alabama defense in over 100 years without Cedric Tillman, who's their supposed number one receiver. And guys, there was nothing fluky about what Hendon Hooker did. And they're playing a style where their wide receivers are literally lining up a yard or two from the sideline. I'm thinking, I've never seen a spread be that spread out. And I look at our style, and we're just running certain things. It it gives me uh, kind of some nightmares of what Mark Rick was running in 2018 with with the mirrored concepts and really some of these things. I'm thinking, you know, are we actually playing modern-day football? Now, I think it's been a little bit better the past two weeks, but – that's another thing I want to see. I want to see the offense grow and develop. Um, but I do realize until we start getting in a, a better group of offensive linemen up front, we're not going to be able to have a full-fledged offense. Guys, I want to add one more thing. I was actually uh, – I had to meet somebody 
before the UNC game, a lot of the tailgates were winding down and I was by the recruiting lounge, which is right near one of the, uh, the uh, entries for the game near, near the black lot. I'll say this, as I saw Magoa, I, I saw Jaden Wayne, I, I think I saw Riley Williams. Some of these kids being brought in look different from a physical standpoint, their body types. Uh, Francis may be one of the widest human beings I've ever seen. He's like a muscular refrigerator on legs. You cannot teach that. That is God-given. Uh, Jaden Wayne has length. Riley Williams, if that was him, because uh, I know it was one of the tight ends. Boy, he's got like a frame that you're like, geez, that's going to be an NFL frame. So that's what gave me hope as I'm watching these kids go up the ramp and checking in with one of our staff members. These kids are, are really physical specimens that I don't think we have been bringing in the past 15 years consistently enough. Steve, man, this is great. Memory lane. We've upgraded everywhere except on the field. Hopefully that'll come. You know, <laughs> I, I, I thought of you, that Texas A&M game, just how boring it was. It oh. reminded me, it was like a, it was like a Cuban boxer fight <laughs> without the, but they didn't win. Oh. Usually the Cuban boxer at least went on points. It was, it was all, it was that boringness without the, without the wins. So that I thought. That was like, yeah, that was a Guillermo Rigondo fight. Funny guys. I was that, that, fight was september okay so that game was september 17th it was the prime time game i'm ringside at the golovkin canelo third fight and honestly that fight was probably more boring than the game so <laughs> i'll be honest with you so i have my laptop on i have my espn app i'm press row but we had they didn't give us great seats okay they wanted to sell the seats to all the rich folks i get it so i'm watching the game and i'm really intent and every time i peeked up to the main event Neither Canelo or Golovkin were punching each other. I said, you know what? I'm not missing much. But I so that, look, I've been through this, and I, I preach patience with a lot of fans. As someone that was there at Butch Davis's first game, it was September of 1995. We played UCLA. Yep. Three and we got beat 31 to 8. And I'll never forget that was a game where we ran that Stillwater offense of Larry Coker. It just looked differently after Erickson. I remember Earl Little muffed a punt at our own two-yard line. It bounced off his face mask, bumped into the end zone. UCLA recovered it. It was 10-0. And I, I could just see our whole sideline deflate. And our team quit. And the next week, I think we beat Florida AM. But when it really hit me that this was going to be a rebuild was when we lost to Virginia Tech for the first time that year. And I said, wow. Um, there, there's no delusions of grandeur and 96. I still remember you may have been at this game, Danny, as a young kid, we played East Carolina at home after yeah. scoring the opening touchdown. We gave up 31 straight points. We lost 31, six or 31, seven to East Carolina with, and that wasn't the Jeff Blake team in 97. When the bubble hit, when we hit rock bottom, because we had no scholarships, guys got injured. And little Santana Moss is wearing a 48 jersey that looked way too big for him. I thought, wow, we're never going to go back. It's over. I've seen my last national title. And three years later, I thought we were the best team in the country, even though we didn't win it. So we have to be patient. And now with the transfer portal and the way the rules are set up now, I don't think Mario needs five years. I just think he needs the fan base to be a little bit more patient and, and I do think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the offseason in terms of the construction of the roster moving forward and maybe even the staff. Yeah, I was at that East Carolina game, and I remember going up the, the old spiral staircase or whatever you'd call it, uh, you know, at the old Orange Bowl or going down it. Yeah. And people were just, you know, they were saying they were done. They were quitting on the team. 
and the program at that time because of that loss. And then a couple years later, when you think you're on the precipice, you lose to East Carolina again. So I think Crystal Ball and Butch Davis, that's the comparison you got to make. Very, very similar in a lot of ways, good and bad. Is Crystal Ball the evaluator that Butch Davis is? Maybe not. He can recruit higher-end talent. And the guys that he does pick, you know, I see Kevin Thibodeau getting sacks, strip sacks on Sunday. I see Jevon Jevon Holland, probably the best safety in the league uh, soon. Um, Panay Sewell, you know what he does. So I see a lot of similarities there. I I think the last three drafts, Pete, tell me if I'm wrong. Hasn't Oregon had a Mario Cristobal player drafted in the top 10 last three NFL drafts? Yep, yep, with with Herbert. Just Cristobal yeah. and Saban. Those are the only two coaches yeah. who have done that. Yeah, so that says a lot. I mean, speaking of East Carolina, so this is the, you bring up that other game in 1999. We had lost that heartbreaking game to Penn State, the Chafee Fields game over Mike Rump. That game ruined the Trinidad De La Hoya fight for me later that night. I didn't, I wanted, I was physically ill, didn't want to watch that fight. That fight was boring, by the way. And I just kept thinking, wow, we're cursed. So the next week we play East Carolina who went through this big hurricane. And I think they had to play at the neutral site field in Carolina. And we're up 24 to seven in the middle of the third quarter. Then Kenny Kelly could not hit the broad side of a, of a barn. And we blew that game. I think the East Carolina quarterback was David Gerard. Yeah. And if you go on the, uh, the message board, and that was grassy.com at that point, Danny. You would have thought Butch Davis was never going to get this done. So I've been through this process. Uh, I, I'm not one of these people that think Miami uh, never is going to win again. I think there's a newfound commitment. But that, but you look, you're growing a seed. And you're not going to have a great oak grow out of it within six months. It's just not realistic. I think we all got a little bit excited because there's a certain energy. But we have to give Mario time. It's going to take a little bit, I think at least a season or two, I think he's still finding his way out about the Miami culture and what's currently going on with their high school programs. And he's got to figure it out. Like, does he want to play? See, the strength of Nick Saban is this, guys. He's evolved. If you look at the way he plays defense, which wasn't great last week, and you look at the way he's now a power spread team where it's really based on the quarterback and throwing the ball. He wasn't always that way with Greg McElroy. And the guy, uh, the other guy, I forget, got drafted by the Bengals years ago. But they AJ uh, McCarron. Yep, McCarron. Yep. Now it's about having, uh, uh, getting into a shotgun or a pistol and throwing it all around, but still being physical up front. I, I, I hope that Mario can at least have the self awareness to realize that if you're going to specifically recruit South Florida, we don't need to play football like it was played at the turn of the century. I'm with you, man. Well, Steve, this is awesome. Bringing the history and perspective as always. Uh, we will drag you back here sometime soon, hopefully after a win. And uh, feels good, man. Reunited, like you said. Feels so good, man. Thank you, Steve. A- Appreciate it. Absolutely, guys. Have a great week. Take it easy. This week's Q&A is sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. Guys, they're trying to give you free money. You sign up, 100 bucks. They will match your 100 bucks. You get to do daily fantasy, legal in pretty much most states, certainly Florida, and you could draft fantasy teams. NBA season just started, so you want to get some drafts in there going on constantly. You want to pick over-unders on player performance. You could do that college football, pro football, NBA, MMA, you name it. Um, All kinds of games available, and you could win real money. Just last week, I happened to go three for three with my picks, you would have done that parlay, you get six times what you put in. 
Put it that way. If you would have done the $100 that they gave you for free for signing up and just followed my picks on the Canes Inside Podcast, that's 600 bucks just for listening to this podcast. We got the link on the website, on this YouTube, on Twitter, uh, everywhere you'll find our sign-up link. You can also use promo code CIS. Use any one of those, and you will get $100 for signing up with a $100 deposit. This week, I got three more winners for you. DeAndre Hopkins, I got over 69.5 receiving yards. I think he's got fresh legs. He's ready to go. Kyler Murray's going to be throwing it all over the yard. Brees Hall, 79.5 rushing and receiving yards. I just think the guy's a stud. The next great running back in the NFL. He can run. He can catch. He's hot right now. They'll keep feeding him. And then Kenneth Walker, 65.5 rushing yards. Chargers have a poor run defense. Uh, Kenneth Walker really looked good last week. Fresh legs also. Uh, So I like all three of those for an over. You could just pick them individually and put money down on those. You could put them together in a parlay. You can do all kinds of things. Underdog Fantasy, use promo code CIS, $100 on deposit. So, Pete, what do you got for me on the uh, on the Q&A here? We'll run through these quick. So, we will start with the first one from 305-407-Kane. Seriously, what is the deal with Gilbert? I think it's just a situation where him and the coaching staff just aren't meshing. Gilbert is a unique player because he's not necessarily physical like a linebacker. He's not fast like a nickel corner, like a Takori Couch, and he's not a safety. So where does he fit? In the right scheme, he's versatile. But if you don't have a spot for him, he's sort of an odd man out. Uh, I think his the physicality part is what's keeping him off the field for, for Cristobal because he's, he's not bringing that necessarily as, at the linebacker level. And you kind of want a fast guy like Takori Couch in terms of coverage because you run down the seam with one of these fast slot receivers, that's a big play waiting to happen. Corey Couch can run with those guys. Gilbert can't. So I think it's just uh, it's just not clicking. And um, you know, I think Gilbert's still a good player in the right scheme, you know, whether he's whether it's at the next level, if he gets there, or if he goes to another school, uh, I think he'll be able to produce in the right scheme. But it, the physicality, I think, is what's keeping him off the field because he's not going to give you the speed that Corey Couch brings you. The next one here from Seaway 313. How many players slash coaches don't return in 23? A lot. A lot is all I'll say. Both. Coaches and players, I think you're going to see a lot of turnaround. I think Crystal Ball is learning this team. I think he's learning this program. He's learning these coaches. It's a lot of learning going on. Not a lot of familiarity. He didn't bring back, you know his whole staff with him and a ton of players that he knew about. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of turnover. I know you're going to see a lot of turnover. Those Discussions are already starting, and uh, we'll see. Next one here from Buck Danzer. Did Chase Smith not progress like we expected him to? We haven't seen him much at all this year. He's hurt. Uh, Fortunately, a significant injury for Chase Smith. Um, He's someone that people like. Great energy, great athleticism. It's a bummer to see him hurt. Uh, hopefully he can use the time off to get stronger, bigger, improve his knowledge of the system because he's someone that has a lot of potential to potentially be an NFL-type guy, assuming he can, uh, he can recover from his injury. And then the last one here for you from Andrew Ferelli, Haley or Hannah Cavender? You know, I'm, that's not really my type. I'm more of a Gonzalez Twins type guy if we're talking about that. But really, I'm getting old. So I'll, I'll, I'll say their mom. You know, I'm getting old for, for talking about uh, college girls. I'm, I'm 37, so I'll say the mom. All right, what do I got for you, Pete? All right. Let's see. Who is your favorite basketball coach from the Kendall Boys and Girls Club? Oh, 
Well, that's an easy answer. Uh, Coach Marty, man. Marty Moore, Miami. His, you know, his, his motto was that inbounds plays don't uh, win championships. So we didn't really have too many set plays, but uh, got the job done, you know. You can check out his Break Bread Freestyles, by the way. Best uh, culinary music out there. <laughs> no, I've, I've seen it. Yeah, better than Action Bronson. I've seen it perform. So I'm, I'm a back-in-the-day fan uh, of Marty, so I know, uh, I know how he can go. So have so one got, more here. I got another one for you here. Okay. Let's see. So from, let's see. This is from my guy, Kansas Kane, uh, a.k.a. Paul Erickson. And he wants to know three guys who, either by getting healthy or leveling up their play, are the difference between 6-6 six and six and 8-4. and four. First one uh, easily is Zion Nelson because, you know, you still talk to people in the league and he's – you know, one of the higher graded draftable guys on this team. And it's at probably the weakest spot on the team. So he's, you know, number one there. I'm going to stay away from TVD because that's an, that's an easy, obvious answer. Um, Restrepo needs to get, needs to get healthy too. So, I mean, he'll be, he's an, an easy number two for me because, you know, we expect him back in the next three, four weeks. Right. But how is he going to perform when he gets back and how, you know, how quickly can he get back into uh, game shape? And then on the defensive side of the ball, um, I'm going to say a guy who can level up his play because we know how gifted he is. And I think the inconsistency has shown a little bit too much is James Williams. Um, he's a guy that can be all world everything, um, but needs to tighten some things up. I, I know that Canes fans are still very excited about him, as they should be, um, but he can be such an X factor for this team uh, moving forward. Um, and if he can grow into this role that he has on the defense right now, um, I think that he's a guy that can kind of flip the narrative right now for himself. Yeah, I agree. I saw a lot of hate for James Williams coming out of that game. And, you know, sometimes these guys that are talented get – an extra share of the of the backlash when the team doesn't play well. I'm still a James Williams guy. He's around the ball so much for a reason. Uh, he there's a reason why he plays more snaps than pretty much anybody on the team. There's a reason why he makes so many tackles, and there's a reason why you don't see a lot of passes complete in his direction. His length is pretty unique, and he's a very smart player. You know, people were, were calling him undisciplined, and you know, obviously the penalties and some of the tackling he can get lower and just be more consistent. Level up. That's part of the level up. But this is a guy who gets players lined up. You know, he's not the. He's not the one that's out of position. He gets guys lined up in the correct position. He's one of the smartest players on the team. Uh, I'm still a James Williams believer, and, and there's there's more more to be done there with his game. I agree. We're, we're on the same page there for sure. So, Canes have Duke this week at the Rock. Let's see if they can make it two in a row and get things rolling in the ACC. I will be there. Canes fans, get out there. Get out from behind your computers. You know, if you want to hate the team, hate them in person – but really make some noise and, uh, and support because uh, we need it because this is a, a huge game. And it's sad to say about a Duke game, but this is, this is where we're at right now, and uh, a win will go a long way. Canes Inside Podcast here at the FRM Studios. We will be back next week, D. Go Canes. Go Canes. 